Welcome to episode number four of Monopoly's Killed My Hometown. I'm your host, Andrew Cameron, and I'm talking to you from Amherst, Nova Scotia. And on this podcast, I'm exploring how our decision to change our competition laws in the 1980s has led to the decline of small towns and small businesses. And I'm looking at this through my experiences growing up and moving back to Amherst while running a small business. Because ultimately, I want our small towns, small businesses, and people to have more control and agency over their own lives and futures. When we are governed by corporations headquartered elsewhere, we lose control over the futures of our communities, and ultimately, we can lose hope. My theory is that in our past, we can find ideas and solutions to dealing with this trouble today. And so in this episode, I'm going back to an article from the May 2nd, 1958 edition of Maclean's magazine, written by Peter C. Newman, titled Trade Secrets of the Combine's Detectives. And you can find a link to this article in the show notes. But before we even get into the article, I want to talk about Maclean's and Peter C. Newman. Maclean's is a Canadian current affairs magazine that is currently printed monthly and is updated weekly online. You can read it at maclean's.ca. And I, I don't even know where you can go buy it now. I assume chapters or Coles or drugstores. Um, I remember it being a weekly magazine, roughly. I think my grandparents received a copy of it and I'd flip through it sometimes. And I think I remember like old ones being at like the doctor's office or the dentist's office. And one thing that I've liked on claims.ca is they have archives of all their articles or a lot of old articles. And so as I've been going through my learning process, I've enjoyed finding and searching through their archive, right? So McLean's magazine was founded in 1905 by John Bain McLean as the business magazine. So this is a quote from an article titled the McLean's first hundred years. McLean changed the title to busy man's magazine in time for the December issue. His audience reacted enthusiastically and he quickly realized the potential of his brainchild to provide a vehicle for national unity. McLean found that Canada was being deluged by American news and American publications with an American point of view. And he thought he could offer a national magazine for Canadians by Canadians. Right. And that concern about, you know, Canada being overwhelmed by American news and American publications feels extremely relevant to where we are today. Right. Like, I think Canadian news is dominated by American stations and reports, American newspapers. American websites, and our news is tainted by the American perspective. And in this system, it's very easy for Canadian news and perspectives to get lost and overwhelmed by the American take. Like, I think sometimes, like, I will know some random, the second senator from Wyoming, but may not be able to name, like, high-ranking officials in our government. And I think that's just a function of it's so much easier to get the American news, and it's harder to find Canadian news, right? And this gets even harder when previous institutions like the Canadian Maclean's magazine, it doesn't have bureaus across the country anymore and isn't publishing on a weekly basis. Or even like the Globe and Mail, like 
We used to be able to get it in Amherst, but we can't physically get the Globe and Mail newspaper. Whether we actually want to be able to get that newspaper or not, different story. But it also comes with like the decline of sort of our local news and our regional news. We're not getting that same Canadian story and it's getting overwhelmed by the American story. So I guess I think about that because it, I find it fascinating that 110 years ago, McLean saw the same thing happening then as I see happening now. I'm not going out to launch a national magazine. I guess I suppose I launched a podcast. Okay, so McLean launched the magazine in 1905. In 1910, the magazine finally made a profit. And in 1911, it was renamed to McLean's. And over the years, like all businesses, McLean's had its challenges. It made money some years, it lost money others, it switched to monthly print runs. And in 1978, it started printing weekly again. The focus was still on Canadian news and a Canadian perspective, but they had bureaus in Ottawa, Vancouver, Calgary, Montreal, Halifax, Washington, and London. And the author of this article, Peter C. Newman, was appointed editor-in-chief in 1971. So like I said, again, 1978, it went back to a weekly publication. So let's skip ahead to 1994. The company that owned McLean's magazine was called McLean Hunter Incorporated. And Rogers Communications Incorporated proposed a takeover of McLean Hunter for $3.1 billion. And this is 1994. So in today's dollars, that's about $6 billion. So not quite their offer to buy Shaw, but still a lot of money. So at that time in 94, Rogers was the largest cable company with 1.8 million subscribers. And McLean Hunter was fourth with 690,000 subscribers in Ontario. Rogers also owned a video rental chain. I vaguely remember that one. I think there was one on Quimpool Road in Halifax, I think. They also owned 16 radio stations and 80% of a cell phone network. And so 94 was when cell phone networks were just starting to break in into the market. My dad and I were talking about this last week that he may have had one of those old bag phones. I think he said he bought a Wacky Wheatley's in Truro on his way home because he had just gotten a flat tire or something and couldn't get anybody to help him. So on his way home, he stopped, bought a bag phone. I don't think it was quite the Zach Morris giant cell phone from Saved by the Bell, but it was it was pretty big. So anyways, I'm kind of curious who else out there remembers these or knows these ones. So let me know if you kind of remember it. Okay, and so at that time, McLean Hunter printed 200 different magazines in 10 different countries. They had the 690,000 subscribers in Ontario to their TV network, and they owned a TV network in the U.S. that had 534,000 subscribers. McLean Hunter had another Canadian TV station and 21 radio stations in Canada. We'll come back to this, but I learned something very interesting about this later on. So Rogers at this time entered into an agreement to sell the U.S. TV network to Comcast for $1.5 billion Canadian. And when Ted Rogers was talking about it and as part of his proposal on why this was a good deal, he highlighted the fact that if Rogers sold the U.S. network to Comcast, Rogers wouldn't have to pay any capital gains tax on it because he would just sell it to them for what he purchased it for from McLean Hunter. But if McLean Hunter sold it to Comcast, they would have to pay capital gains tax. So to me, this is a quote-unquote efficiency that's gained not through better business practices or anything like that, but through accounting tricks. So again, I found it fascinating to see that Rogers had bought McLean Hunter in 94. And before we get 
talking about Peter C. Newman in this article, I have a few other random thoughts I kind of want to share or kind of came up for me as I was reading about this and learning about this. First one, as part of the approval from CRTC for this merger, Rogers and Shaw entered into an agreement to swap ownership of Rogers Cable Television operations in Calgary, Victoria, Sault Ste. Marie, and Thunder Bay for Shaw's cable operations in southwestern Ontario. Rogers also had to transfer ownership of one radio station in Brampton to Shaw and one station in Toronto to Tell Media. And so I find this absolutely, absolutely, absolutely fascinating. 28 years ago, we required Rogers to divest ownership of some TV stations to Shaw to allow the merger with Rogers and McLean Hunter. But today, Rogers is looking to buy Shaw again. So did that divestiture of those stations in 94, did that work to keep competition in the market if now Rogers is looking to buy Shaw again? Like, it just seems weird again that this is even something we could consider. But maybe this is why the Competition Bureau has applied to stop the Roger Shaw merger to the Competition Bureau. And I'm sure someone can explain to me why things are different today and why the current Roger Shaw merger should be allowed to go through. And they could be correct. I just feel like finding a fact that we made Rogers divest with some TV stations to Shaw 25, 28 years ago, and now Rogers is going to buy Shaw. The fact we made them do it 20 years ago should make everybody go, huh, hmm, and really stop and think about this and think about what's going on. So at the time where Rogers wanted to buy McLean Hunter, Ted Rogers made the argument that this merger would allow Rogers to create a larger, stronger, more formidable company that could protect Canadian culture from U.S. domination. Specifically, Rogers presented satellites being American content and programs into the U.S., quote-unquote perhaps dumping the products, as a threat that this merger was designed to stop. This argument can also be referred to as the national champions argument, that we need to have Canadian companies big enough to protect us from external governments, external companies, external forces. Uh, this comes up quite a bit in sort of digital and tech firms that, you know, Facebook has to be big, Google has to be big to protect the US from China. But let's go back to the argument Rogers made, which again, I find is interesting because, you know, 90 years ago, when McLean first started the magazine, he was concerned about the American culture overwhelming Canada. And he started the magazine to create that. Now Rogers is saying, we have to buy that magazine to make our company bigger to stop the American companies from coming in and overwhelming us. And this reminded me of the point that in the last episode, I was going through the article that uh, Mackenzie King had written and where he talked about that we should expect corporations to behave responsibly towards the investors and the owners of their company. That's what private sector should do and what they do do. And so Rogers Communications job is not to protect Canadian culture. I think we did things like introducing CanCon rules, funding of the CBC, enforcing Canadian ownership rules. We did those in order to protect and preserve Canadian culture and foster Canadian culture. It shouldn't be Rogers or Bells or any private sector company's job to protect Canadian culture. Because again, like Mackenzie King said, when that company gets to the point where it's choosing what's best for their company and for their shareholders versus Canadian culture, their responsibility and what they should do and what we should expect them to do is choose their shareholders, investors, and owners, which is fine. 
as long as we're not also hoping that they will protect Canadian culture at the same time. So I bring this up just for to hear that when we hear that national champion argument coming up that are we sure we want our private sectors to be our national champions? And if we need national champions, shouldn't that be us doing it for ourselves so there's no conflicts of interest? Okay, so another interesting thing about this merger. So in 1993, McLean Hunter made $140 million in profit. They had revenues of $1.28 billion. Rogers lost $216 million on revenues of $98 billion. And for me, this is why I think we need to expand our analysis of mergers beyond efficiencies for situations like this. Because Ted Rogers talks about the fact that he could use the losses from Rogers Communication to offset the profits of McLean Hunter. And so basically, once Rogers buys McLean Hunter, McLean Hunter won't have to pay any more taxes. They just won't have to pay income tax anymore because you can use losses in one company to offset profits in another. Right, so in this situation, how does another media company or another independent publishing company who can't use losses from another division to clear their tax liabilities compete? I mean, how do they do it? Because that other company is running a fantastic business. They're doing what you should with businesses. They're growing. They're making consistent, steady profits, right? So two companies, they each make, you know, $140 million, $142 million at a, you know, corporate tax rate of 35%. They should each owe $50 million in federal and provincial taxes. So because Rogers bought McLean Hunter and can use their losses, this new company is $50 million ahead than another equivalent company who doesn't have the same losses. And this isn't because Rogers is running the company any better or that they've done something to increase efficiencies or make gains or anything like that. This is just straight up accounting. And one of the observations that I see, especially like in Amherst and small businesses, as the biggest companies get bigger, other companies have to start consolidate and merge because they need to get to a certain size to be able to compete with and hold their own against these big companies. And so that's my theory that once some companies start merging, everybody else is forced to do this as well. And the thing is, Rogers actually makes this claim. So at one point in another article, Ted Rogers says, Unless there's substantial consolidation in the cable industry for companies to be able to stand toe-to-toe with the telephone monopolies, Canadians will never get a chance to decide. So basically, Ted Rogers is saying, because the telephone companies are monopolies, I need to become one too. So the other thing I think about with all these mergers, especially things like that, is, okay, so Rogers paid $3.1 billion Canadian for McLean Hunter, sold the U.S. cable for $1.5, so they had a net cost of $1.6. Interest rates... In 94, Canadian savings bond was paying five and a quarter percent interest. So to spend one and a half billion dollars, Rogers is going to want a much larger return than five and a quarter because they could get that and not do anything for it. But the current profit McLean Hunter is making isn't enough to give that return. So they have to come in and cut expenses, increase prices, or do something just to justify the spending on this. So these cuts in the short term and price increases in the short term may be okay and the product may be able to coast along as they were doing before. But after a certain time, the product quality is down so much and costs so much that nobody wants it anymore, right? And I think that's what's happened so much to local newspapers, local radio stations and local journalism. And so for me, like I think back to Amherst in our local news scene.
And as we go along, you know, I'm going to talk a lot more about newspapers and radios and the local news and the role they play. But the biggest way I describe it is I think that the local news ecosystem is how a community talks to itself. And with the loss of our local news, our newspaper and our radio stations, Amherst has lost its ability to talk as a community. And so it's so much harder for us to make decisions together or to understand what's happening and decide what will be best for us because we have no way to talk anymore, right? And social media presented themselves as a replacement for local news, but it is absolutely not, right? And to me, I, I think this is what played out because above using Ted Rogers' theory that Rogers, a $98 billion company in revenue, needed to grow bigger to compete with the telephone monopolies, what hope did CKDH in Amherst, AM90, or the Amherst Daily News ever have, right? Or any other independent local media companies? If Rogers can't compete with the telephone monopolies and they have to get bigger, what chance does the local radio station have? And then if Rogers is getting bigger and buying more radio stations and TV stations, what chance does, again, CKDH or any local radio station have with competing and surviving next to Rogers. And so what happened is they all started getting rolling up and getting rolled up. So this was kind of the surprise that I mentioned earlier on, and this is going to give you a peek behind the curtain and really just going to show that I really am learning as I go along. So I knew that our local radio station, CKDH, was sold to Maritime Broadcast Systems in 1989. I knew that. It was owned by two local business people before that. And so where I wanted to go with the story next was I want to talk about how MBS, Maritime Broadcast System, started to roll up radio stations across the Maritimes. I actually learned that in 1989, Maritime Broadcast Systems was actually owned by McLean Hunter. MBS was a subsidiary of McLean Hunter. So then I started going, geez, did our radio station actually end up being owned by Rogers through this whole merger? Like, anyway, I was blown away by this and just baffled by it. But... Turns out our station was never actually owned by Rogers because in 1994, McLean Hunter sold Maritime Broadcast Systems to a group of investors. One was the current president and other financial investors. And from there, Maritime Broadcasting Systems started buying more radio stations in the Maritimes and just buying more and more until they, I think currently they own about 20 or 21 radio stations. And so... You know, there's Maritime Broadcasting Systems, New Cap Radio is another one. So many of the radio stations have been rolled up by these companies. Like, again, in Amherst, when I was growing up here, I didn't actually listen to the local radio station. That wasn't cool. I listened to C103, the classic rock station out of Moncton. I was a teenager. It made total sense then. But I turned on C103 again, and they actually play the morning show from Halifax at the Moncton station now because they're owned by the same. Right. So Moncton doesn't have, you know, their early morning drive time radio, or I didn't hear the same one on C103 anymore. And so these are kind of the things that we start to lose as these stations get rolled up. I mean, even like pull it back down to Amherst. Like I remember as a kid, CKDH was like a whole floor on a building downtown with the antenna up top. And I remember going in, I think once, because again, it was so exciting if you heard somebody on the radio that you knew or if you ever actually got to be on the radio. And so I remember going down as a kid, recording commercials for Little League Baseball and promoting the tag day where you'd send all the kids out with like little paper tags to stand in front of stores and restaurants and beg for change. I don't think they do that fundraiser anymore, but I remember going down to do that and being so excited when I heard myself on the radio station. 
But now I look at CKDH and it's like in a small building outside on the edge of town. The antenna's out there. There's, I think, station manager. There's one person who comes on and the ad salesperson. Like, that's it. But before, like, I remember growing up, there was all sorts of local content. There was, I mean, bingo on at night. There was uh, People to People was a show that uh, I think my dad says nobody listened to, but everybody knew what was said on it. Like, it was one of those shows. They had journalists. Actually, fun fact, Ian Hannamansing got his start at CKDH in Amherst. Um, he lived close by and came over to get a job in high school and just that's how he started his career. And so my theory about this is as the largest media companies started to consolidate, local news, local independent radio had no hope of competing in that ecosystem. They had to get bigger and they had to start consolidating. As they started to consolidate, they then had to become more efficient and centralize options and reduce services or play the same shows at different stations to save money to maybe potentially get a return on what they spent. But it left all of our small towns behind. It took away our ability to talk to each other and ability to inform each other of what's happening so that we can decide what we want as a community. And this is because we decided it was more efficient or to hear Ted Rogers' argument that we needed a large company to protect us from the American onslaught of the culture, which they didn't do anyways. And 30 years later, we don't have our local news scene or our way to talk anymore. So when you do get in to talk about radio, there is more to this because competition somewhat is limited because of the CRTC regulations and who can open up radio stations and not. So there's a lot more to this. But to me, the principle is that when we let big companies get bigger, everybody has to start get bigger, which just leaves small businesses and small communities behind. Um, yeah, so I just realized I've talked a lot about McLean's. I guess really more about Rogers than McLean's. And I didn't even get into the article or talk about Peter C. Newman. So we're going to have to do that next time. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Tell a friend and then subscribe because next time I promise I will actually get to the article. I really enjoyed this article. There's price fixing the matchsticks and bread and oh, it's great. All sorts of stuff. So that's next time we'll actually get to the article. What are you doing at the small town after the movie show through? A few powerful companies. Main Street is struggling. Monopolies killed my hometown.